So you guys are in for a real treat tonight because I'm not speaking. But not only am I not speaking, yes, Justin, you can celebrate that. Um, not only am I not speaking, we have a great speaker in, my good friend Alonzo Johnson. And uh, Alonzo is one of the first people I knew in Philadelphia because when the Send Network is looking to endorse a church planter, they get some local pastors and church planters to assess them. And he was on that original council of people that approved me. I guess he wasn't a dissenting voice because I'm here. And so, um, so I've known him since then. He's been a church planter. He's a pastor. And Alonzo is just incredibly sharp. And one of the things I love about him is every time he speaks, it's with insight and with authority. But he's very, very humble. And it's just rare to find that combination. I am thrilled that he's come out to speak to you guys tonight. You guys, I'm excited to hear the message from him. I just want you guys to be excited as well because he is great. And he's been a good friend. And I've just enjoyed learning from him. I uh, appreciate his voice both in my life and in our city. And in uh, really the kingdom of God here in Philadelphia. So Alonzo, come up and share with us what God's given you. Underpaid him. I gotta give him another twenty dollars for that introduction. That was good. It's good to be here, Horizon. Uh, I'm glad that you have me today uh, to be with you. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, getting to know. Almost said Pastor uh, Alex, but you guys just call him Alex, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a great to get to know him in Darby, and uh, I, I didn't share. Uh, when he shared at our church today, he did an amazing job. I didn't share that uh, one of the things I appreciated about him is that before he started jumping into ministry, he, he said, let's start gathering and praying. So he, start, he took the initiative and started gathering plant church planters to pray together in various spots. So he would come to different contexts and we would all get together and pray. And that was a sweet time because church planting is difficult. If God doesn't blow on it, it's not going to work. You can do all of the work you want, but if he doesn't move, then, you know, so we're, it, it's a humbling experience. And so, that being said, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us today to learn something from his word. Uh, Lord, we're grateful uh, for the worship that we were able to have uh, to lift you up today. Uh, Lord, your word reminds us uh, that greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. It says that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think according to the power that works within us. And so Lord, we know uh, that we need you. We need you to work. Do something deep down in us before you do something through us. And so today as we look at the life of Daniel, would you spark something inside of us to have a desire to run towards you before we run to other people. So bless our time together today. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Uh, a situation all set up here. You guys look official in this place, man. This is all up, up to, it's a state-of-the-art building here. This is beautiful. This is a real beautiful facility. Again, uh, my name is Alonzo Johnson, and uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Rhonda, and we have uh, four children. We have Isaac, Daniel, Caleb, and Abigail. Abigail's the baby girl, and uh, we did attempt to plant a church. It didn't work. Uh, I can't tell you why it didn't work. It could have been me. And one of the things that we'll learn today is not about ability. It's about being available, being having availability. Because God can use anybody. And it's not based on, listen, it's not based on who you are. It's based on your character. Sometimes your ability 
will take you places that your character can't keep you. And we're going to learn something from a man today who's, who's Daniel, who, who came into Babylonian captivity as a teenager. He was one of the sharpest guys, so he had ability as a young man, and that's why they selected him and brought him into slavery. But he was a slave when he came into Babylonian captivity. And you see him and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing up and not bowing down to the issues that were going on at the time. And now we see what he has is a long obedience. What Daniel has is a long obedience because he came in as a teenager, but now there's a new king. Darius has take over, taken over from, uh, uh, from another kingdom. And what we have is a new ruler in town. And now Daniel is 80 years old. So this is a long obedience. This is not something that, okay, he was young, and then he went out and he had fun, then he came back to Christ. No, he, was, he submitted his life to the Lord, Lord as a young man. And now we get to this space in his life where we see, you know what? I've trusted God in my youth, and now I'm going to trust him in my old age. Some of us have these young seasons of our life. We say, I'll eventually come to the Lord. And then we come to the Lord when we're 50, 60, 70 years old, and we think, oh, it's all over with. But then God ends up doing something miraculous with your life. But I think it's something special about somebody who has a long obedience. By the time we get to chapter 6, um, uh, Darius is now in charge. And if you look at the first three verses with me, I want to give you the title of what, what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about trusting God in difficult times. Trusting God in difficult times. How many of y'all know it's, it's, it's good to trust God when you got more money than you need at the end of the month. But it's more difficult to trust God when the money you got won't make it to the end of the month. Well, maybe I'm up here on the main line. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all got more money than y'all know what to do with. Let me say this. It's easy to trust God when you're happy and you got all this joy, but it's harder to trust God in deep, dark places of depression when you're broken. It, let, let me say it like this. It's easy to trust God when you know your friends, when all your friends have left you and you know the enemy is after you, or oh, let me say this, it's easy to trust God when you have a lot of friends, but it's more difficult to trust God when all your friends have left you and you know you have a real enemy and his name is Satan, and he's after you. And the one thing that Satan is after, look, he ain't after your money and all that, he's after your faith. Because if he can get your faith, he can get your future. If he can destroy your, your belief in God, he can upend everything in your life and he can use you as he would like. So I want to ask you, are you going to trust God in difficult times? The first three verses of uh, Daniel chapter 6, it says this. It says, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel, listen to verse 3, it says, Daniel distinguished himself above all the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Over the whole realm. So this guy was a master administrator. He came in and he broke down his, his territory into 120 states. And then he put people over those states and then he put three individuals over all of those people who ran the states. And then and Daniel was one of those three. 
But this is the amazing thing about Daniel. He's working in a secular situation, and the Bible says that he has this extraordinary ability, so he outshines all these other guys. Can we say this? He did his job well. He did what God gave him to do, and he did it well, so much so that the favor or the hand of God was upon him. Listen, in verse number four, something happens. It says, the administrators and the satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found. This is amazing. Daniel chose character over comfort. That's the first point. He chose character over comfort. This is what I want you to do. Learn to live the hand that you have been dealt rather than complain about the one you don't have. How many of you here would like to have Bill Gates' hand right now? Come on, you can be honest with me. I know the church. But a lot of us would like to have that hand. But what about the hand that you've been dealt? When God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. So here's Daniel, one of the three men that's in charge of 120 states. And what does the Bible say? They got a problem. And they start trying to find dirt on him. In politics, that's what politics is about. It's about who can sling the most mud and who can get it on the person. And in fact, I'm glad I never ran for office because they probably go back in my teenage years and they find some dirt and they'd be like, when he was 16 years old, this is what he did. When he was 19 years old, this is what he did. When he was a young adult, this is what he did. And I feel so uh, bad for uh, teenagers today because we didn't have social media and everything like that. You guys are in a pickle. Because if you do something, they can just post it right up online. And everybody can see it and they can view it over and over and over. You get the point. But the Bible says, in, in verse number 4 of Daniel chapter 6, it says, They could not find any corruption. There was no charge or any corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Wow. The book of Daniel helps us to see that character, and I said this earlier, character will take you places that your talent can't. Some of us think that we have ability that outmatches anyone, but can our character keep us where our, where our talent takes us? Just because you can do something that nobody else can, doesn't mean that you're qualified to do it. In fact, anybody here ever heard of a guy named Bertie Madoff? Very, very smart guy, but low character. He was a liar. And when you run into a situation like that, you have problems. Here's some of the character traits of Daniel in the, throughout the book of Daniel. Listen to these character traits. He was humble. He never promote, promoted himself. His reputation is made known by others. Others see his reputation. What are other people saying about you? That's good. Listen to this. He was intelligent. It says in Daniel, 1, in Daniel chapter 1 verse 17, it said, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. It says in Daniel 1 20 that, the, that the, uh, the, the king finds them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. This guy's smart, isn't he? Can I say this to you? I'm humbled to be here before you. 
because I'm not a very smart guy. Um, I might have some wisdom from the Bible, but I'm not a very smart guy. Why do I say that? Because I went to the, I, I'm, a, I'm a product of the Philadelphia public school system. I dropped out of school in the, in the eighth grade. Uh, they, they passed me to the ninth, but I don't even know how they did that because I wasn't even in school half the year. And I got, I got a, my report card at the end of the year and they said, you will be in such and such section next year for ninth grade. So I dropped out of school in the ninth grade. That's not very intelligent, is it? General, general math and English and all these other things, I struggled for a long time trying to get an understanding of what it meant to learn in the academic area. Can I tell you this? But at the age of 19, when Jesus got hold of my life, he gave me the ability to understand some things that I couldn't understand before. And what he did was, he got people involved in my life and I went back and got a general equivalency diploma, then went on and got a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree. Now you may say, well you said you weren't very smart, but Jesus. See, that's what made Daniel who he was. Don't think Daniel was intelligent all of himself because Daniel was able to interpret things that other people couldn't interpret, but guess what he did? He sought his God for the answers, not in, within himself. Because when you're a self-made man, when everything falls down, you're going to have to depend on yourself to pick you up. But Daniel always looked to God. So who do you give credit for your ability? Do you give your credit for yourself? Is it your... Uh, your, your your lineage and who you were born from and all those other things or is it because God gave it to you? Every good gift we have comes from God above. Without, there's no shifting shadows. Here's another one that, uh, that, that Daniel had. There was no corruption in him. No corruption in him and we just read that in verse 4. When Darius takes power in Daniel 6, the administrators and satraps try to find grounds to charge Daniel, uh, to find charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Why? They could not find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. Wow. He was a man of prayer. And that's what we want to really rest down today. It says in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 that three times a day, Daniel would go into his upper room, get down on his knees, Pray, giving thanks to God. Can I say this? Prayer is a discipline. Here's the second point. Daniel chose discipline over disorder. When all of this started going on in Daniel's life, what he did was instead of going along with all of the noise that we hear on TV and all of the mania and the scare tactics and all oh, of this, that, that, and the other, Daniel chose discipline. The discipline of prayer. Listen, if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. Because the first thing, first time you say you get up and say, I'm going to commit my life to God, guess what's going to happen in your life? Opposition is going to come. In fact, I can guarantee you there were some people that had great intentions to be here today, but guess what? Something else came up. There was an easy excuse for them not to discipline themselves to be here. And it happens in our lives all the time. Doesn't mean that they're bad people because they, they aren't here, but listen, you can't cut corners in your prayer life. You gotta have a secret place that you go to to talk to God. Here's the, here's the three things that will help you in your prayer life that help Daniel. Listen, it says, Daniel 
chose love over life. And in verse 10, 6 through, uh, 6, chapter 10, 6, 10 through 15, listen to this, and then I give you three things that I observed from that. Daniel chapter 6, 10 through 15 says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, this is what he did. When, 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 the, uh, when, the, when the other two leaders of all these 120 uh, 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 states got together, they said, they, they went to the king and they said this, uh, O king, and they appealed to his heart, they said, uh, how about you come up with a decree that says if anybody prays to another god or anything within 30 days, you put him in the lion's den. And the king liked that. He said, okay. So he put the law into effect. In fact, they went to him and they told him a lie. They said that we have agreed. Who was missing from that meeting? Daniel was missing from that meeting. So they lied and they said, we have agreed. The law went into effect. And then look at verse 10. It says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house, the window in it, up in its upstairs room, opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, gave thanks to his God, just as he always done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they, it says, so they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you say, didn't you sign an edict that, that for 40 days, pardon me, I said 30 days, for 40 days, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king will be thrown into the uh, will be thrown into the lion's den. And the king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the uh, Judeans ex exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays how many times a day? Three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So they, they tricked the king. He had a heart for Daniel. He knew that God was doing something in Daniel's life. And now, because they're hating on him or they don't like him, they want him to be moved out of the way so they can get into position. But what do you find Daniel doing? He's not getting into all of that mess. What is he doing? He's praying. And this is what I want to say to you. Look, Daniel went to a place. Do you have a place that you go to to talk to God? Luke 15 says, Jesus often withdrew to a secret place. He withdrew from the crowd and went to a place. Now, if Jesus withdrew to, play, to pray, what do you think you should do? You should find a place to pray. Now, don't wait until stuff happens to try to find a place. You have a place now that you go to and you talk to God before stuff happens. Because this was Daniel's usual thing. Daniel had a place. Daniel had a posture. Now you can pray walking. You can pray in your car. You can pray anyway. But what was Daniel's posture? It was on his knees facing Jerusalem. There's a lot of significance in that. When Solomon built the temple, he had an awesome prayer when he built the temple that said that if, if your people are ever scattered, if they call out to you to Jerusalem, then hear them. 
So he was following in the leading of Solomon's prayer, but what was in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was destroyed. Can I ask you this? What is your Jerusalem? Where's the place that you want to see transformed for the glory of God? What do you have a heart for? He had a place, he had a posture, he humbled himself before God and called out to him in desperation. Can I stop and put a pen right here? I heard uh, Darby share about their, uh, their situation with infertility and everything. When my wife and I got married, uh, man, I, I have an amazing wife. When we got married, we had a plan. The plan was we'll spend a year together and then we'll start making babies. It's a nice plan, isn't it? Until I realized I don't make babies. And when we start making, we start trying to get pregnant, one year went by, two years went by, three years went by, four years went by, several miscarriages. It was a horrible season. There's nothing like seeing your wife and you desiring to say, you know what, we committed ourselves to you, Lord. We, we have our lives at a certain place and we want to we wanna be obedient and be fruitful and multiply. multiply. We want to see some babies come into the world and to hear God say no. And then, men, we will never get it, but there's something about a, a, a woman that God has built into them that when it's time for them to have babies, it's something that their soul longs for. And when it doesn't happen, there's nothing like that that happens in their life when you, when you see your wife going through that. Five years went by. And then my wife came to me and she said, what about adoption? I was like, adoption? It was something humbling about it because I was like, you know what? I don't need adoption. I can make a baby. And then the Lord humbled me and he says, you know what? You are adopted and engrafted into my family. Adoption is a beautiful thing. And uh, we, we, we put our profile out there and a young lady found our profile and she contacted us and she said, I want you to be the, the, uh, the parents of my son. And all the way through the process, it was just such a beautiful experience that we had, that all the way up through the process, she did a ceremony in a hospital after the third day. She gave us the baby and then she gave us a journal. Listen, because we were praying and asking God for a child, but we were asking a child for, for God to do it in our order and not in his order. And when she uh, did the ceremony in her room, she whipped out this diary and she said, it's what she said, it's very powerful. She said, uh, I was two months pregnant and I was getting ready to have an abortion. And my sister persuaded me to talk to the youth pastor. I went and talked to the youth pastor and I decided that, that I wouldn't abort the baby. And from that point, I started keeping a journal. And I have this journal that I wrote in every day, all the way up until the day that Isaac was born. And she gave us this journal and she said, when he turns 18, I want you to give him this journal and let him know that he was loved, that he was valued, and that he wasn't a mistake. And, and when you start reading through this journal, you can't believe the love that comes out through this journal. And then she places not only the journal in our hand, but the baby in our, hand, in our hands. And we get this amazing gift, and we get to go home, and it's an answer, get to go home with him because he's an answer to prayer. When we were going through that time, we had a place that we went to to pray. It wasn't like we were going through that crisis and we just didn't know what to do. We were just asking God what? Right after we adopted, my wife got pregnant with my second son, Daniel, and then Caleb, and then Abigail. Because what he wanted us to know, listen, he wanted us to know it's his time, it's not our time. Sometimes we want things when we want it, how we want it, and we want to rush the hand of God. But listen, 
God is going to do what he's going to do. And prayer is humbling, but it's also a safe place because it lets us know that we're not in control, that God is in control. Oh, that's good. So not only did Daniel have a posture, but he had a practice. Three times a day he prayed. He had a lifestyle of prayer. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand in any situation. When you get down on your knees and you're praying, you're saying, God, I need you to sustain me through this very, very difficult time. You know what? I don't think we're desperate enough. I just don't think we are. Your pastor shared at our church today, and he said, we're the most, we, 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 we like things our way. Everything customized. But the moment we don't get things the way we want it, we start having problems. Well, guess what? He put it this way. The Christian faith is not about us. Guess what it's about? It's about Jesus. It's about our, us living our lives for him and not for ourselves. I think Daniel got it. Daniel got it. So Daniel not only had, uh, he chose character over comfort, but he also chose, he chose discipline over disorder, but he also, in uh, the third point, he chose love over life. He chose to love his God more than his life, more than his, his comfort, more than the threat of going in the lion's den. He said, you know what? I'm still going to pray. Can I ask this question? If God, if, 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 if you were threatened with the lion's den for anybody to pray, would you still pray? They took prayer out of public schools, and we say, well, prayer's not in there. Well, you can pray in a public school, but some people do it on a sidebar. I'm talking about publicly. Would you still pray? If you knew you were going to go in the lion's den. Well, Daniel's answer to that question is, I'm going to do everything the same way that I've been doing. So he chose his love relationship with God over his life. Here's the last thing. Because I know your pastor said, y'all usually go like 15 minutes and I don't want to burn my bridges and you got to be like, man, that guy, he talked too much. You can't have him back no more. Here's another thing. <laughs> Daniel chose poise over panic. The ending phrase in verse number 23, <clears throat> listen to what the phrase says. In verse number 23, the beginning is, will you trust God in difficult times? Daniel 6, 23 says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the lion's den. And when Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed for his trust, for he trusted in his God. You know, I ask you the question again. The title is, will you trust God in difficult times? Who was Daniel's trust in? His trust was in God. He believed that no matter what, God had it. If I perish, I perish. But if I live, I live. I'm going to put my full faith and trust in God. It's an old school verse that some of us probably know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean to your what? Own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So he got that. The ending phrase of Daniel 6.23 makes it clear the reason behind Daniel's choice it wasn't compulsion or duty it was trust. He trusted God to do what God wanted to do if he did what God instructed. Did you get that? He said, God, do whatever you want to do. I'm going to follow your instructions. Listen, this is what we need to know. 
we are invincible. We are invincible if we're doing what God wants us to do unless he takes us out of here. And that's okay too. But I'd rather be taken out of here doing what God wants me to do than doing my own thing. There are a lot of people that are doing their own thing and they meet their demise and it's not a good thing. I'd rather be doing what God wants me to do, be a martyr or living wholeheartedly for him and then be taken out of here than to be doing my own thing. Does that make sense, Horizon? Listen, it says, that is the essence of a surrendered life. He held his head high and knew the truth, that we are invincible until God says our life and our mission has been completed. We are invincible. If God has something for you to do, guess what? He's going to do it through you. If he wants you to do something, go ahead and do it. Don't shrink back. Do what God called you to do. In fact, listen to this statement here. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him at a mountain. And they came to him, and it says, some worshipped and some doubted. I thought, wow, that's strange. What were they doubting? I could not figure that out. Why were they doubting? What were they doubting? Here's a man that they saw three times after the resurrection standing right in their presence. They couldn't be doubting that he rose from the grave. What were they doubting? They were doubting the mission that he was getting ready to send them on, and they were doubting themselves. Listen, we get in our own way, get in our own way all the time. The reason why God can't use us is because we trick ourselves into believing we can't do what God called us to do. We always say, oh, I can't do that. Look, there's nothing more daunting, nothing more difficult than trying to start a church from nothing. That's a hard task. I told you I tried it and I failed. But it was never about me. And see, the worst thing about church planners is we think starting a church is about us. But it's not. It's about Jesus. If all he wanted to do was get me in a position to be obedient to him for three years to turn soil and then somebody else come along and water and somebody else increase, I can't get mad because somebody else experienced the increase and he only wanted me to turn the soil because it was never about me. Don't miss it. This thing is not about us. Daniel got it. Look. So at this point here, I began to draw some parallels because we want gospel to be in this thing. We want to hear the gospel. Jesus said the whole Testament pointed to, the whole Old Testament pointed to him. So when we read in the Old Testament, we got to find Jesus in it. We got to find Jesus in the Old Testament. If the whole Old Testament is about him, we got to find him. So does Daniel's experience teach us about Jesus? Worth pausing to reflect on the links between Daniel and Christ. We need to be careful to find the links where they are. Listen, but equally it's wonderful to be wild at being given a glimpse of Jesus centuries before he was born. When the similarities are there in Daniel and Jesus' conduct, what do we see in Daniel 6.4? It says, the administrators and the satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could not find the charge or corruption, but he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. You remember Jesus' trial, right? They couldn't find an order. It was a kangaroo court. They were trumped up charges. In fact, they said, have nothing to do with this man. Watch this man. I don't, I don't want nothing to do with him. I want nothing to do with what you guys are doing. 
false accusations. What similarities are, are there between Jesus and Daniel? Look at verse 6, 13 through 18. It says this. It says, Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed. For he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. So what we see is the similarities between Jesus and him as we flip over to Mark 15, verse 9 real fast. I'll get you to do a little bit of page turning with me. Or you can just rest your hands. It says in verse 15, 9, it says, Pilate answered, do what you want do what do what you want me to do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests priests had handed him over so we had the same similar situation we got these guys that they're envious and they're coming at him and we had the same situation see the similarities there and then we see this last part right here it says, Daniel was put to death in a den to die, yet he came out alive. What are the links between Jesus here? What are the, what, what's the one crucial difference between the experience of these two men and what happened in the, uh, and what happened in, um, in the Gospels with Jesus Christ? There's similarities there. Jesus was put in the tomb. He was put in the lion's den. This is where the similarities begin to get different though. Listen, Daniel and Jesus lived an exemplary life such that no charge could be brought against them. They are innocent before God's people, yet both are brought before a ruler facing trumped up charges and the ruler's hand is forced to bring judgment on them. Both are put in some kind of cave or pit which is sealed with a stone. Both come out alive and angels are involved. Both are vindicated and exalted. This is the difference. The difference is that Jesus died and was then raised. Do you get that? While Daniel faced death because of human sinfulness and pride, Jesus experienced death for human sinfulness and pride. In Daniel 6, this man of God's enemies were themselves thrown into the lion's den in verse 624. The wonder of the cross is that Jesus went there to be punished by God so that his enemies would never have to be punished. Oh, that's amazing. What happened with Daniel was the gods that had these trumped up charges went in and they were killed. But look, what Jesus did is he went in and he died so that we would not have to die. So that we would be able to live. He set us free. I quoted this verse early this morning. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. That while we were doing whatever we want to do, living life how we want to do, he was dying for us. He gave up his life for us. The story of Daniel isn't the same as that of Jesus, but the picture is so close. We should see him as an example of what, we would, of what would have happened to God's true faithful servants and we should give thanks to God for what he did through Daniel and still greater thanks to him for what he did in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Daniel was delivered, but his friends weren't. But you never heard Daniel say anything hatred 
or, 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 or anything hateful or harming against his friends. They went in there of their own doing. Look, sin will take us much farther than we ever wanted to go. It'll keep us longer than we wanted to stay and it'll cost us more than we wanted to pay. It will kill us. It will be our ultimate demise. They hung themselves because of their low character or lack of character and wanting to do things their way. Instead of working as hard as Daniel, they wanted to take the easy way out. I say this, there's only one way out and it's through the cross. If we trust God, we've got to put our faith and trust in Him like right now. We've got to surrender. We've got to come to Him and say, look, Lord, just use me. As I close, I say this. I share with you a little bit about my story. There's one thing I left out. When I was 19 years old, when I was 17 years old, I became addicted to drugs, crack cocaine. I grew up in a crack epidemic in North Philadelphia in the projects. And crack ravaged my life. The person that's standing here before you today is totally different than the person who was standing there uh, some time ago. But at the age of 19 years old, somebody came to me and they shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I say this? It changed everything. For the first time in my life, Somebody told me that God loves me, that God had a plan for my life, that I wasn't meant to live like this, that I was collapsing in on myself, that sin was destroying me, but I didn't have to die in my sin, all because of what Jesus Christ did for me. It was a beautiful story. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he started working on me, listen, on the inside out. Can I say, there was a lot of stuff in there that needed to be worked out. There was neglect as a child. There was not being able to read until like the sixth or seventh grade. There were all kinds of issues that were going on. In my context, I was trying to look, what's going on? Why is, it, why, is, why is my Jerusalem like this? Why is everything all broken down in the way it is? But then when I saw Jesus, I realized it wasn't meant to be like this. That restoration could happen. And I thought, you know what? I could just get it. I can go back to school, get a degree, live my life, and move on up out of the urban context. But God has always called me back to the urban context. Why? Because anytime a young boy or a young girl or somebody else sees me, they need to see a tangible expression of the power of the gospel lived out in our lives. That's the importance of Horizon being right here. People need to see tangible expressions of Jesus Christ. And this is beautiful because the church is not like a family. Guess what? The church is a family. The gospel changes people. And people change the world. But it always starts with the dunamis of the gospel. And it's the same for you. Paul said it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek. Maybe you're here today, and you already know Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. As your pastor shared earlier, you're not a disciple. Christianity has become easy in America, but discipleship is always difficult no matter where you live. It's a difference. God is calling you to go deeper. He wants to see you live for him. He wants to see you to have the same commitment that Daniel had. Will you follow him? Will you consider your life, as my life verse says, I, I am crucified with Christ. 
And it's not, it's not me that lives any longer. And Paul said, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We will, are you ready to live by faith? Are you ready to trust him? I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to turn it back over to your pastor. But I thank you so much for allowing me to come and share these few moments with you. Lord, uh, I'm just grateful uh, for the invitation to come to Horizon. And I pray that we glean some things from Daniel's life. It's a nice story. We've heard it before. Daniel and the lion's den. We remember that along with Noah's ark and all these other stories, but we need to realize that those stories are there for a reason. That those men were real. They lived lives of faith. And your word tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please you. But he who comes to you must believe that you are and you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Maybe there's someone here today who's saying, you know what, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to follow you by faith and put my life in your hands. That's you today and you're saying, you know what, I need to start having a relationship at this moment. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just stick your hand up. We'll see it. Lord, thank you for this time we can spend in your word. We pray that hearts were encouraged and that we would not leave this place the same. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.